you pray with me as we look at Genesis chapter 22? Gracious Lord, as we look into your word, we ask for understanding, we ask for empowering, we ask for your presence of your spirit to turn the written word into the living word in our lives. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So Genesis chapter 22 is about the sacrifice of Isaac and what I would consider probably the greatest test of faith that there is in the scriptures. Now, we've all had bad days, haven't we? Heck, we've had bad seasons. Some of us have had bad decades. And sometimes one bad thing seems to follow another and we wonder, is it ever going to end? And then sometimes one good thing seems to follow another and we wonder when it's going to end. And in all the things that happen to us as we bump our way through life, one of the most important things to sort out is, is what's happening to me now a temptation or a test? Is it a temptation or a test? Is what happening to me, is it a temptation to give in, to let our standards slide, to go for the easy way out or perhaps we'll just make a slightly off, maybe grey area, possibly shady deal, just until we get over this hump and into better times? Or is it a test? That's an opportunity to shine, an opportunity to put your Christian values into practice and to flex your spiritual muscle. I used to have one there. (laughs) To make a stand for Jesus, to show what you really believe deep down. Now, probably, like me, many of you have done exams from time to time, and sometimes those exams are very frightening ordeals, aren't they? And yet, occasionally, when you've studied, they may be a satisfying opportunity to show what you really know. One of the reasons we love sport is because it's an opportunity to test ourselves against the opposition. And so when we come to Genesis chapter 22 today, which is the story of Abraham being told by God, sacrifice your son, it's important to see how it starts. So Genesis chapter 22, verse 1, sometime later, God tested Abraham. And so this story we're about to read is a test. It's not about God trying to tempt Abraham into human sacrifice. Rather, it's an opportunity for Abraham to reveal how deeply and truly committed is his faith in God. And that makes us an example for us to follow, a faith for us to try and copy, for it shows us probably the pinnacle of what it looks like, faith in action. And this story is going to show us how to trust God when everything you've been relying upon for your future is about to be sacrificed. And there are bigger things going on than just an example for our personal walk here. But we'll spell out those things as we go along. But for now, understand, Abraham is being asked to give up everything which he understood was necessary for the promises of God to be fulfilled in his life. Because God, you see, had promised him, Abraham, you'll be the father of many nations through your son Isaac which is an enormous promise for the future, the distant future. But in those days, 
there was no social security. And Abraham was relying upon his son in the very immediate future to look after him in his old age, to protect him and to keep him when he was no longer strong, to take over the running of his very substantial assets because he had just happened to have an, an army of over 300 men. And with a wonderful promise tucked away in his pocket about being the father of many nations, God speaks to Abraham. And we're going to see that when he speaks, Abraham responds straight away and shows that he has an ongoing sensitivity to God. He didn't just make a commitment at a crusade 30 years ago and since then has just been commiserating, oh, church is not like it used to be. He was still listening to God. Back to Genesis 22. Sometime later, God tested Abraham and he said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. And God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain. I will show you. And on the face of that, this is perhaps the most disturbing command of God in the whole Bible, isn't it? Sacrifice your child. Sacrifice your only son. Sacrifice your only son whom you love. Sacrifice your only son through whom is going to come all your descendants. Makes me think of some of the early missionaries I read about, like Adonair and Judson, missionary to Burma. In the course of taking the gospel of that country, he lost a wife and he lost a number of children. People like him heard God speak and followed the sacrificial example to the uttermost. But for most of us, this is just an unimaginably horrific command. Sacrifice your child. And note what type of sacrifice it was. It was a burnt offering. So kill him and then burn him to ashes. So we have to allow the Bible to interpret for us. So we're going to go to the New Testament for insight in how Abraham could have considered following such a command. And indeed, he got onto it the very next day, very early. Though probably he got into it early because he couldn't sleep at night, worrying about what he had to do. So let's carry on with the story in Hebrews 11, verse 17. Hebrews 11:17. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it's through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. And here's the, the logic. Verse 19, Abraham reasoned. What? He reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. And so we see that when Abraham heard this command from God, he interpreted it through the eyes of faith. He couldn't understand it. 
He had no idea of how God could fulfill what appeared to be two contradictory orders. But he knew in his heart that God was the God of the impossible. One of my favourite illustrations of this principle is a story I heard about a man I'll call Joe. And Joe had a mechanical services operation in America, servicing the big rigs that travelled and kept the supply chain going. A man of Christian character, impeccable character. And one day, a guy with a big fleet of trucks comes in to see if he'd take on the job of servicing his fleet. And he was a hard negotiator, but he was offering a very lucrative long-term contract. And as they're hashing out the details, he starts pressing Joe to reduce the price, take some shortcuts, fudge on the reporting to the government. And Joe realised at one point he's being asked to compromise his safety in order to cut costs. So he draws himself up, realises in good character he couldn't do this, and he just have to let it go. So he says, looks at the guy, nope, uh, can't do that. I'm sorry. And if that's the way you do business, then you'd better just get out of here. And the negotiator looked at him, silent for a moment, and then relaxed and smiled broadly and said, at last, I've found an operator I can trust. You've got the contract if you want it. You see, when you look at life through the eyes of faith, you realise there's no deal worth compromising your character over. Although God promises to bless his children, he never calls them to take blessings which only come if they compromise their faith a little. Now we know Abraham's a man of faith. But it's a bit checkered, isn't it? At this point in his life, what's, what's happened? Well, faithfully he left his home country when God called him to. He went to the promised land and he wandered down to Egypt, but twice he failed at protecting his wife, just called her his sister, and let her get taken by different leaders, Pharaoh and Abimelech. And then on the other side, he's had a, a son delivered at an age where it's miraculously, it's impossible for him to have a kid, and he's, by the by, he's seen the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, so he's seen an awesome power of God there. And then he's messed up by trying to help God produce the heir that that he was promised by having a child through a maidservant, Hagar. And if you want to know why there's trouble in the Middle East, then remember, it starts here, in the, that grew between Hagar's child Ishmael and Sarah's boy Isaac and the two doting mums. And you'll see that's where it came from. So Abraham's history to this point encourages me because I, remember, I, I know that I've waxed and waned over the years and I've always trusted, but I've not always lived in that trust. And I'm going to keep learning to live in that trust until the day I pass on, as I'm sure all of us will. And I think the story tells us that you can't rely on your old Christian testimony. You can't rely on those past times when you were close to God. Because Abraham may, sorry, God may call you to a test at any stage of your life as you did for Abraham. God may call you to show again your belief at any time, at any stage of your Christian life. He may call you to show in public 
what you believe in private at any time. He may test you at any time. And as I tried to understand from this story what's the essence of the testing here, I came to the conclusion that God may test whether you believe in the promises or the promiser. Whether you believe in the person of God or whether you believe in the religious rules of church life. Whether you trust in what God will provide or whether you trust in the fact that I'm a fine Christian, a dedicated believer. Will you trust in Christ's robes of righteousness for what you feel about yourself? Or will you trust in the fact that I'm a pretty good guy, I have my own righteous deeds? And then maybe your faith needs to be expanded to the level of the miraculous as God asked Abraham to do. Because God asked Abraham to trust him to do something miraculous, miraculously impossible to kill the golden goose and keep the golden goose alive at the same time. That's similar to what God asks us to do, which is tell the world about Jesus. Something that requires us to trust for the miraculous. That when we are as committed as Abraham was when he lifted the knife in order to sacrifice Isaac, that when we're that committed to what God tells us to do, that God will provide everything we need in order to get that job done. And we'll see that in the story. Back to Genesis 22, verse 3. Early in the next morning, Abraham got up. He loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place that God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and he saw the place in the distance. And he said to his servants, Stay there with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship there, and then we'll come back to you. You notice there's a three-day journey here towards resurrection. Abraham, you see, according to Hebrews, believed that God was going to resurrect Isaac, which, is, of course, is a foreshadowing of what Jesus would do one, way, one day when he'd be killed and resurrected on the third day for the sins of the world. And just shows us in this story some of the... First of a number of ways which shows how consistent the Bible is from the beginning to the end as it ties together the Old Testament and the New Testament. As the story points forward prophetically in many ways to what God did at Calvary in Jesus. So we're just going to confirm that Abraham believed in the resurrection and this was a new idea in the Old Testament at this point. No one's talked about belief in the resurrection but he is it's in verse 4 there did you notice it we will worship and then we will come back to you he knew we were coming back it's going to be confirmed in Abraham's discussion with Isaac as well for Isaac notes after a while hey we didn't bring any lamb to sacrifice so let's look at that verse 6 onwards Abraham took the wood for the bird offerings placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. And uh, those commentators say this was a, a big knife for butchering. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, 
Dad, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. Fire and the wood are here, said Isaac, but where's the lamb? And Abraham answered, God himself will provide. God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. So I'm sure many of us have sung that old chorus, Jehovah Jireh, my provider. Did you associate it with God's capacity to provide in this circumstance? Very extreme circumstance. And it shows just how complete is Abraham's trust in God's ability to provide in an impossible situation, in a situation where you just can't understand exactly what God wants you to do. And Abraham could do what God asked him to do. He could make a human sacrifice because he was totally convinced that God could provide the impossible. And I wonder if we can trust in God's word to us as much as Abraham trusted in God's word to him. He had a spoken word, Abraham, or we have a written word. Abraham just had his own personal history with God, didn't he? What do we have? We have that history of Abraham plus Jesus, plus the disciples, plus 2,000 years of believers' lives and teaching and their examples. And the question for us is, do we trust that far more substantial word from God as much as Abraham trusted the word he had from God. And now we come to the pointy end of the story, literally, because Abraham has got the sharp pointy knife in hand, is poised over his much-loved son Isaac in verse 9. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and he arranged the wood on it and he bound his son Isaac and he laid him on the altar on top of the wood and he reached out his hand and he took the knife to slay his son. The Jews are very taken with this binding of Isaac, the Akedah. They see enormous significance in Isaac, who is not a kid, he's a strong young man, allowing himself to be tied up by a hundred-ish year old man. And they're just totally impressed at his faithful obedience. And he's taking to heart what his father said, Jehovah Jireh, God will provide. At his knowing participation in what God had asked his father to do. At the wonderful faith of Isaac. But then, from Abraham's perspective, what unfathomable depths of that moment in the heart of a father As you think about what was going through his mind, the ideas which spring up in you as you contemplate being asked to take the life of a loved child, that's going to be as varied as the number of us here, I think. But it's going to be penetrating to our very marrow. And my prayer is that God will reveal for us this morning, for you, what Isaac is for you today. That God will reveal if there's something that you need to be willing to lay on the altar that's getting between you and God, that you're withholding from God. 
Genesis 22:12 says, Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. What are we withholding from God? Now that's a thought that could take you a couple of hours around the bush TV. The bush TV, that's a fire in a paddock or a great picture. What am I trusting more than God as it goes into the flames? And if God shows you something, well, totally bring it to him, knowing that he will provide something better in its place. And there's another astounding insight in this story because I believe this, this story gives us an insight into what the God the Father felt like when he asked his own son to be bound on a cross and not just be willing to die, but to actually die. What Abraham felt gives us an insight into what God felt when his own son was willing to be sacrificed. And as Abraham contemplated doing something which just seemed impossible for him to receive what God had promised him, we are put in touch with God the Father's capacity to do something impossible to make salvation possible for all humanity. And as Abraham trusted that God could resurrect Isaac, so we see Jesus also knowing by faith that he could be resurrected and that he had the capacity to resurrect himself. And now in our story, we're going to see how the impossible was achieved. Verse 10. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. The angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. For I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your only son. And Abraham looked up. And there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. And he went over and he took the ram and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. And so Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The impossible was achieved because God provided the sacrifice. Usually it was an unblemished lamb. But here, in this story, we see foreshadowed the lion of Judah, a fully grown ram, caught by its thorns in a thicket. And the, the Jewish people maintain that it's like he's standing up tall and looking almost like a man, foreshadowing that Jesus, the Saviour, was coming one day. And God provided the sacrifice and he demonstrated that he was Jehovah Jireh, my provider. And in order to preserve that moment of provision in time and place and history, Abraham named that place the Lord will provide. And it's interesting to note that this point is the actual location of the sacrifice is Jerusalem. For the Jews believed that not only was Mount Moriah the location of Jerusalem, but the place of the sacrifice was the exact part in Jerusalem where Jesus would be crucified. Let's zoom in a little bit more. 
And uh, Chuck Missler has some very interesting information about that if you want to go looking and following that up. So this incident links the Old Testament, links the New Testament, it links the sacrifice of Isaac with the sacrifice of Jesus by the fact that they're both in the same geographical location as well as all the symbolic meaning of Jesus' sacrifice for the sins of the world. And did you notice as we went past that Isaac carried the wood on his back just as Jesus carried the cross on his back? Verse 6, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac and he himself carried the fire and the knife. Well, it was a test. Abraham passed the test. He demonstrated he would have carried through completely with his instruction from God and showed thus his total commitment. He showed that his faith was real and so God then blessed and reaffirmed his covenants. Verse 15, the angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, because there's no higher authority, he can only swear by himself. I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and you have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore and your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed. You should one day just... Uh, Look up how many Nobel Prizes have been won by Jewish people. They are batting way out of their league. All offspring, through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. God doesn't test us for the fun of testing us. He does it to see if we're ready for the next level of spiritual blessing. You know, people of the world look around at the rich and famous and they make them their idols and they say, oh, I wish I was as happy as them. But no one is lucky. Everyone has been tested over and over to get to their point of success. You know, there's a well-known principle called the Peter Principle, not the Apostle Peter, but the Peter Principle, which says that everyone rises to their level of incompetence. What? Oh, people keep going. They keep testing themselves until they have one day they get to a test they can't pass. So that means they really stop where they're incompetent to go any further. And God keeps testing our faith over the entire lifetime, doesn't he? But each level you pass brings you to a next higher level of spiritual blessing. And sadly, he reserves your greatest tests of faith for your later years when you have less strength. And your body lets you down more. But he does it because he's preparing you for glory. Preparing you for heaven. Preparing you for a life lived without sin or blemish anymore. In a land where we will be able to see the one who dwells in unapproachable life. And we need to be tested to be ready. And sometimes the test will be the same test you gave to Abraham. And the challenge for us is, will God be able to say of us what he said of Abraham? Now I know that you fear God. Let's pray.
pause before the holiness of this moment. Gracious Lord, please put your finger on anything we are relying upon more than you. Forgive us if we have slipped into trusting our relationship with you, our history with you, our reputation with you, rather than trusting directly in you. Please forgive us if we're trusting in our knowledge and our job skills, our strength, our ability to work hard, our capacity to get on well with people more than you. We dedicate ourselves again to you. We lay down on the altar by faith anything that we need to put there. You will show us the ram in the thicket if we trust you for our salvation, if we trust you for our food, our shelter, our clothing, if we trust you for our family members, our family of God members, we trust you enough to read and live by your written word of God. And it's our prayer, Lord, that people will be, that you'll be able to say of us, now I know you fear God. Amen.